Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Elon Musk jumps on the DeSantis for President bandwagon. The Democrats running for governor face off in a candidate forum and qualifying gets underway in Florida for races up and down the ballot. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... That music means it's number picking time. Uh, John, do you have a number for us today? Zach, I do have a number, and it's in honor of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Again, uh, my number matches the players on the ice. It's six. All right, go Bolts. Uh, tough loss uh, uh, last night, but uh, I think they're going to rebound. Antonio, how about you? What's your number today? I came in coming with the historical 50. All right, and I got both of you beat with a 94 remember those numbers folks we'll tell you what they mean for florida politics at the end of the show well ron DeSantis is getting a lot of presidential buzz and it appears that even the world's richest man is behind DeSantis. elon musk tweeted this week that he's leaning towards supporting DeSantis for president DeSantis praised Musk's bid to purchase Twitter, saying he would end censorship on the platform. And now Musk seems to be returning the favor with his DeSantis shout out. Musk is a cultural icon with two successful companies, Tesla and SpaceX, and 98 million followers on Twitter. So it's no small thing that he would tweet out um, a a sort of an early uh, nod towards DeSantis. He recently swore off supporting Democrats and now says he's backing Republicans. John, what does it say that DeSantis is one of the first Republicans that Musk is getting behind? Well, you know, like with most things involving uh, Musk, it seems, you know, really hard to say what this says. Uh, But but yeah, Musk this week tweeted that he voted for the first time for a Republican. That was Mayra Flores in Texas who won and uh, she flipped a a Democratic uh, congressional seat. So, you know, who knows? Maybe DeSantis is going to be his second Republican. Uh, You know, remember Musk in 2016 also said that he would vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. Although I I don't know uh, if we know for sure who he voted for then. Uh, But he has said that he has voted overwhelmingly Democratic since becoming a U.S. citizen 20 years ago. Now, uh, Musk was born in South Africa and uh, DeSantis greeted this uh, announcement, this, uh, you know, thinly veiled endorsement, I guess, by saying he welcomed African-American support, which for a governor whose congressional district map uh, eliminates one black Democratic seat and threatens another. Well, I, I, I think that may be a joke that's a bit tone deaf. But, uh, you know, I, I really don't know if uh, Musk shares the interests of African-American Floridians. But uh, anyway, 
uh, from maybe DeSantis gets Musk's vote for president if he runs. And uh, I guess uh, it does bring DeSantis more celebrity factor, although uh, another president, uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think maybe put it best by saying, for people who like that kind of thing, this is the kind of thing they like. So <laughs> and the, John, the celebrity factor is really what's kind of interesting. I mean, it's it's, you know, one of those stories that's really like, you know, Musk tweets a lot of things. And, you know, who knows whether he really is uh, a huge DeSantis supporter sure. and gets behind him. But it is interesting. You know, it's sort of. Elon Musk is just such a bright light name. And, you know, he's, you know, the world's richest man to these two big companies. He's in the news all the time. So it just sort of speaks, doesn't it, to the idea that DeSantis is sort of on the tip of everybody's tongue, who is, uh, uh, you know, who are sort yeah. of these Republican leaning figures who are uh, oh, the presidential that, candidate, right? That, yeah, that's very true. You know, you know, Musk has become something of a bro hero to those on the political right these days. You know, here he is. He's a billionaire, a risk taker, entrepreneur. He says things that can alienate others, which uh, seems to be a quality, you know, kind of respected in the current GOP. And uh, of course, a lot of his Republican love seems to come from this bid to buy Twitter, uh, you know, which he says, well, he'll open up the platform to more speech, uh, you know, true, false, uh, you know, even dangerous, which uh, followers of Trump seem to uh, think will bring the president back onto the platform where he was banned for dangerous falsehoods about the 2020 election. Um, you know, Musk also was a COVID-19 denier back in the early days, saying it was all about doctors making money. And he was uh, also promoting a debunked treatment. So uh, he shares a little bit of that fantasy with uh, DeSantis as well. But, uh, you know, I'm sure DeSantis is going to enjoy this Beau Bronding, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> as he goes forward. You know, he, he'll find a way to name check Musk and speeches for the right audience but his uh you know his billionaire status is going to also antagonize progressives so if uh if liberals and democrats need any more reasons to dislike DeSantis, i guess uh you know musk gives him one you know a, a rich one at that yeah it, it further cements that sort of like joe rogan young ma male um yeah. you know also sort of the 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 blue collar uh white voters i don't it, it all kind of um, kind of brings together uh, what seems to be swirling around um, DeSantis, uh, uh, you know, that that kind of um, defiant, uh, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder um, attitude that Musk also brings. So um, yeah. I, I think that it just kind of uh, further, further, uh, furthers that image of him. Uh, Antonio, the DeSantis for president talk seems to be reaching uh, a fever pitch. At what point does this become sort of unbearable for, uh, you know, DeSantis's mentor over in Mar-a-Lago? Do you think that Trump ever makes a move here soon to, uh, to announce his campaign maybe, or try and tear down DeSantis? I mean, how much is all this uh, talk from people even like, Musk, you know, you also see, you know, DeSantis just with a, a huge amount of money here, 112 million uh, in cash on hand. Uh, you know, it, it, it really looks like he's making a statement about, uh, you know, sort of uh, his strength if, if he runs for president. Uh, what do you think Trump thinks of all this? Well, if we're to believe reports from Bedminster where uh, Trump is summering these days and, and perhaps even boiling, He's antsy to get, do just that. We've been hearing that he has been angling to announce his candidacy, perhaps here in Florida before the midterm elections, 
precisely as those reports say, because he is looking over his shoulder DeSantis. And by announcing here in the Sunshine State, um, you know, he'd be throwing a brushback pitch at DeSantis, although it might be more of a high and tight fastball at his former political apprentice. Look, I hate to say this, Mr. Trump, but we told you so. The loyal listeners of this podcast will note that we've had this discussion on and off for 16 months, namely that the longer Trump delayed an announcement, the more he let the door open to challengers. And now, by the way, it's not just DeSantis. Uh, Mike Pence was courting Jewish voters here in Trump's own Palm Beach County backyard a month ago. And, and let me add this to what John just said. Uh, you know, the, the challenge for Trump is that DeSantis has, among Republicans, nailed it with his free state of Florida brand. That, that's been a winner among the MAGA universe and the GOP. The idea that he kept the economy open, that he banned the use of face coverings or a muzzle, as he once called it, a mask, and he's talked down COVID vaccines. And you know the fact that he's kept the economy open, that, that mantra ha- allows him to then claim credit for the you know, historically low unemployment rate in the state of Florida. And then on top of all that, he's gone after the transgender athletes and even Mickey Mouse, plus you know, a, a 15-week abortion ban on top of that. DeSantis just checks off a lot of boxes for the new and hardline Republican Party of the roaring 20s of the 21st century. So, yes, you can say DeSantis's COVID policies have been reckless and more than 70,000 Floridians have lost their lives uh, to a large, you know, many of those perhaps because of that recklessness. But look, GOP voters are just not swayed by that. And if you don't believe me, just let's just ask, when was the last time Trump referred to, quote unquote, a gutless politician who won't say if he, they're vaccinated? Well, yeah, that narrative flopped the moment he got booed for touting vaccination at public events. In short, DeSantis, look, he's just out Trump Trump right now. Yeah, and uh, you, you got to think that Trump is noticing this. Uh, I did a story a few weeks ago about all the billionaires uh, that are backing DeSantis, and now Musk appears to be one of them, although uh, he hasn't contributed financially. My story looked at the billionaires who have actually um, given money to DeSantis, and uh, you know, you you add up all the wealth of these people, two hundred they're worth two hundred and seventy five billion dollars. I mean, that's a big. Uh, potential well that could DeSantis could draw from. And these are people that have supported Trump in the past and maybe they'll support him in the future. Maybe that, you know, it's it's easy for them to give to DeSantis now because he's running for re-election as governor and they don't have to say they're, you know, necessarily supporting him for president, but it does seem like sort of an early nod from a lot of these people that they like what DeSantis stands for. They 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 uh, might like to get behind him uh, for president. So when you have that many, um, you know, uh, ultra wealthy people, it, it sort of uh, sends a statement uh, to the rest of the potential GOP presidential field. And it also sends a statement to the man in Mar-a-Lago that, hey, you're, you're big donors, you're big guys are getting behind me. Um, you know, are, are they as loyal to you as you think? So a lot for Trump to consider with DeSantis uh, in terms of whether or not uh, he he makes a move uh, on 2024 earlier rather than later. Yeah, one thing to keep keep an eye out for is that, you know, you've got these televised January 6th uh, investigative hearings. Now, obviously, look, MAGA universe doesn't believe it. They've, They've tuned out. They're not paying attention. But the one thing about Trump is that he does watch television ratings. And I'm sure that he took note that 20 million people watched that first televised hearing and, and it's had a pretty good uh, you know, viewership since. 
So I, I think that's another, if we're looking, okay, does he jump the gun on an earlier, meaning before the midterm election candidacy uh, announcement, that might be a factor too, that he feels like I got to get out there and say something. I got to blow back on all of this is coming out of the committee. So that's another another factor to keep an eye on. Yeah, uh, those committee hearings have um, definitely uh, attracted a, a lot of attention. 20 million viewer, viewers is is not uh, insignificant, and um, uh, a lot of it is focused on these uh, election fraud claims that Trump made with even um, his uh, attorney general, his own daughter, saying she didn't believe him. So uh, really interesting. While Musk was tweeting about DeSantis, the Democrats vying to take on the governor met for a candidate forum in West Palm Beach last night. Democratic primary for governor is now down to two candidates, Charlie Crist and Nikki Freed, after State Senator Annette Tadeo dropped out. Crist continues to build momentum, picking up key endorsements and raising three times as much money as Freed did in May. Crist raised a uh, million dollars, Freed uh, only around 300000 Two months left before the primary election, Freed badly needs to make a move and do something to change the trajectory of this race. Antonio, did Freed had uh, any uh, memorable moments uh, in this debate? No, actually. Well, the most notable thing about the forum in West Palm Beach Wednesday night was the civility between the two. The gloves really never came off. In fact, the one memorable moment was a salvo that Freed uh, fired at Chris, and she was criticizing the GOP 15-week abortion ban. And and noted that the Republicans have a very friendly Florida Supreme Court, including the chief justice, she said, was appointed by GOP governor Charlie Chris. So here's the interesting thing, though. The 2022 campaign has been marked by volatile wedge issues. You know, the, the, the abortion ban, the, the controversial school legislation related to teaching race in classrooms, you know, another education law vocally criticized by the LGBTQ plus community. But at the forum, a lot of the questions for Kristen Freed focused on healthcare, jobs, and housing. And the queries about affordable housing that were quite a few that were lobbed at Kristen Freed suggest that this grassroots issue is transiting from kitchen table talk to the political arena. So the question then is, can either Democrat tag DeSantis with the housing crisis? Can they put it on him as effective as DeSantis has put inflation on Biden? Kristen Freed will be far outspent by DeSantis, who, who polls say has a respectable approval rating in the state. So they need a game changer. And, and housing and home insurance are political game changers, but only if they can muster up a message and enough money to megaphone it. And the yeah, problem is, is there, time is is there any sign that they have a message, Antonio? I mean, is there any sign that they have a message on affordable housing that's going to re resonate? I mean, it, it's one thing to say, yeah, I want housing to be more affordable. We all want housing to be more affordable. But, uh, you know, the, the policies that uh, you'd have to do um, are not all that simple or, or necessarily uh, politically uh, palatable for everybody. No, but they, there is what they have been focusing on, and they did again, they did it earlier this month at a couple of appearances I covered, and it came up again last night in this forum, was they focused on what's called the Sadowski Trust Fund, which is money from the sale of homes that goes into this trust fund that could be used for affordable housing. The problem is that that trust fund has been raided by lawmakers for many other needs and, and, and not affordable housing. So there, there, there is an opportunity 
to tailor a policy using that trust fund, which is for this kind of, you know, for affordable housing sure. and workforce housing needs, there is a way that you can tailor it. But so far, they really have not explained how they would do that. And even if they did, you know, that gets one of those really inside baseball, complicated in the weeds policy things that people's eyes glaze over. It's not as easy as saying bite inflation, you know? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, I, I think they could, but like I said, first of all, time is running out and B, it, 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 it's one of those things that takes a lot of explaining. And as we said in the past, if you're explaining in politics, you ain't winning. Yeah. Yeah. Simpler things are just, you know, focusing on rent increases and stuff like that. I mean, the, the, some cities are talking about rent control or, or you know, limiting how much landlords can raise rent. I'm not sure how that plays uh, politically, but it does seem like something Democrats have uh, explored in the past. Did they Have they mentioned anything about that in the debate that, you know, uh, you know, not too much because that's really been kind of a local housing thing. I, I think what they're hammering and they're trying to hammer away at is the idea of, you know, almost playing like this, this NIMBY. Remember that the not in my backyard when it came to development, almost right. that, that kind of sense among Floridians that are hearing constantly about people moving from other states here, people moving from states where they're getting paid a lot more, higher taxes, moving to Florida and competing for those homes and those apartment rents. And that's one of the reasons that is driving up, you know, the cost of, of rents and homes. And so they're trying to hammer at this idea that, you know, here's DeSantis rolling out the red carpet for everybody in every other of the 49 states. Meanwhile, he's not, doesn't care about you. Those of us that are here, he doesn't care about. They're, they're trying to, to hammer that out. But again, you know, there's just not a lot of time. And if you really want to make that message, you, you got to really megaphone it with ads and with, a, uh, you know, with the campaigns. And, and so far, you know, we have not seen any of that. Well, you, you can tell that DeSantis uh, understands that this is an uh, issue that he potentially is uh, could be vulnerable on. He uh, came out with this hometown heroes affordable housing program where uh, you would uh, give down payment uh, assistance to uh, certain key uh, people who are involved in jobs that are critical to the community, nurses, police officers, teachers, things like that. So he seems to be trying to get in front of this. So it will be interesting to see if uh, Democrats can make some of these criticisms uh, stick. Well, most of the big races in Florida have been set for months, but there still could be some surprises this week when qualifying wraps up. Candidates have until noon on Friday to qualify for the ballot. One of the big questions is how legislative and congressional races, how many of those uh, Democrats will be able to contest this year. John, what are you watching this week during qualifying? Well, you know, all politics is local, so most of the drama of these races is really in the community where they are, especially in these contests for the state house and Senate and congressional races, which I'm trying to keep an eye on. Uh, statewide races have shaped up as expected now with uh, Democrats, Charlie Crist and Nikki Fried qualified for governor in the August primary. And of course, uh, Republican Ron DeSantis has qualified and so far uh, has not even drawn a token of a primary opponent. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Thursday. So, uh, you know, we still have a little bit of time here before the end of qualifying at uh, midday Friday. But uh, there, there are some things to, to see that are contrasting. Now, remember, uh, Florida Democrats two years ago were hoping to catch a, a blue wave that they were expected to uh, uh, see sweep the country with uh, now President Biden challenging uh, 
uh, now former President Trump. Uh, Democrats, remarkably in Florida, they fielded candidates in almost every legislative seat. 120 yeah. House and 21 Senate seats were on the ballot then. Yeah, it seems like they really made an effort to uh, recruit candidates in 2018 and 2020, especially when you had these backlash years uh, where, you know, the Democratic Party was really worked up about Trump and there was expected to be a backlash. And and they were able to score some wins. I know in this area, Margaret Good, uh, Democrat, won a swing seat um, that had been held by Republicans in, in 2018. Uh, um, you know, they were able to make some gains uh, in the legislature, I believe, in, in 2018. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so they, they they fielded candidates in, in all of these seats. But it, it doesn't look like that this year, does it? No, no. I think the Democrats sort of learned a lesson maybe from uh, two years ago where they they, they backslid in the House. Uh, you know, the, the fact that showing up and qualifying only counts for so much. And, uh, you know, the Democrats remain a distant minority in the state House and Senate. And that that blue wave never really did materialize in Florida. Trump carried the state handily. Um, uh, this year, though, what we're seeing is uh, a little bit of a more return to normalcy when it comes to we always have a lot of like it, both parties bypass races where they don't think they have a chance. Uh, that, that's kind of standard uh, practice, at least historically. Um, they choose their candidates kind of wisely. And uh, uh, I, so far, I, I, I've counted 26 Republican-held seats in the House where it looks like no Democrat will qualify. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there are also 14 Democratic House seats where Republicans aren't mounting an opponent. So you're likely going to get a you know one from each party showing up, uh, winning in, on those sides. In the Florida Senate, where all 40 seats are on the ballot this year, six Republicans look bound for winning re- election without opposition, and uh, there's one Democrat that looks like he's on that track as well. So um, you know things may change by noon Friday when qualifying closes, but. Um, where we are seeing a lot of action, it seems like, is uh, in congressional seats where, you know, remember now, re- redistricting has changed the contours of all the seats in the in the legislature and Congress. So that can really inspire some candidates. And uh, on the congressional seats where 20 of the 28 rep- uh, seats lean Republican now, thanks to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is pushing a plan that the court has already said violates the state constitution. But because it's on appeal and will be still subject to legal wrangling, it's going to be the map that is used this year, even though one court has already said that it is, you know, unconstitutional. Um, But what we're seeing uh, uh, is some real craziness in these uh, congressional races. Nine Republicans are running in a Republican-leaning District 7 seat in Seminole and Volusia counties. That's open, uh, it's a seat formerly held by Democrat Stephanie Murphy, who is leaving Congress. Nine Republicans lining up. Uh, Five Republicans are running in District 15. That's the uh, Polk County area where uh, Senator Kelly Stargell is facing off against uh, Representative Jackie uh, Toledo and the former Secretary of State, Laurel Lee. Uh, that too is an open seat, but it's drawn a lot of attention. Um, uh, somewhat similarly, there are six Democrats running in District 10. That's the seat that was held by Orlando Democrat Val Demings. She's leaving the House to run for U.S. Senate, challenging Republican Marco Rubio. So basically, there's a lot of crowds, 
and uh, a lot of obviously close races shaping up for the August primary. And when you have these kind of vast numbers of candidates running uh, in, in some of these districts, especially running in the dog days of summer without, you know, with a low turnout race, the winners that are going to emerge in these races, uh, they're, they're going to win with just a small fraction of the vote. Um, but, you know, here I, I'm looking at August already, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's let, let's see what the end of qualifying brings tomorrow. Yeah. And, and there could be more candidates that jump in. I mean, some of these uh, seats, this could be a once in a lifetime opportunity i mean some people you know they get into office and they'll stay there for for decades so uh people um you know view this as uh my shot to to roll the dice and and uh, see if i can get in there so sure um, and you could have a situation where you have a uh, you know a republican candidate that wins with just a wafer thin margin in a low turnout race becomes the party nominee and then maybe if there's a uh, you know again a big uh, as as predictions seem to be right now about November if there's a Republican wave that person gets elected to Congress and uh, you know they're there for a very long time maybe in Florida. Yeah, so you're seeing some chaos uh, after redistricting in some of these races, and we'll also see uh, how aggressive Democrats are going to be uh, in challenging in a year that does not look that good for them. Some of the things to watch from uh, the end of qualifying this week. But we'll move on to uh, some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, uh, Friday, June 17th is the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. Like we all pretty much know the story. Burglars went into the Democratic National Headquarters to bug phones in a 1972 political dirty tricks campaign. Uh, but it backfired badly. The men were discovered and arrested. Then to keep them quiet about their White House connections, an elaborate cover-up followed, a cover-up that President Richard Nixon was deeply involved in. And when his role in the criminal enterprise was unearthed, the ensuing political scandal forced Nixon to resign in disgrace. That part of the story... People are very familiar with. Now, the part of the story that maybe they don't know a lot about is how a former Florida resident, a lawyer named Benton Becker, ultimately brought the saga to an end. In September 1974, Becker, on orders from President Gerald Ford, went to see Nixon at his San Clemente, California state. There, Becker secretly negotiated the infamous pardon. Today, that drama is jumping out of the pages of history books and back into the political arena because of the various investigations of former President Trump. The whole point of the pardon of Nixon, by the way, was to avoid the spectacle of a former president being indicted and then hauled off to trial and potentially to prison. That's why Nixon was pardoned, so the country could move forward and focus on pressing public matters. Here's the thing. In researching the pardon, Becker came across a key Supreme Court decision that ruled that accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt. If you accept the pardon, that means you're basically saying, I did this and I'm begging for forgiveness. In other words, so you can't, if you accept the pardon, you can't then insist that you're innocent. You can't accept the pardon, then run around talking about how you were framed or how the case against you is a hoax or even a witch hunt. So whether Trump will face charges is unknown and whether he would be pardoned is an even bigger unknown. But what we do know is that the only guidepost America has to dealing with the former president under a cloud of illegality is the pardon set forth by Benton Becker, who died in Boynton Beach seven years ago. So if you want to learn more, you know what? I'm going to shamelessly tout a story about Becker, who I got to meet and talk with several times that we, I have posted on 
palmbeachpost.com. It's an explainer on the pardon and how it came about. All right, Antonio, dropping some Watergate uh, history. It's pretty interesting that uh, the Watergate hearings would be exactly 50 years ago, and now we're having the January 6th hearings. It kind of reminds me of that quote, the history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. John, uh, you want to tell us about uh, your number? Yeah, Zach, uh, my six, that's the number of finalists that have been submitted to uh, Ron DeSantis to become Florida's next Supreme Court justice taking the uh, place of Justice Alan Lawson, who is retiring at the end of August. The, uh, the the six names were sent to DeSantis this week by the court's Judicial Nominating Commission, which held interviews with uh, 17 applicants uh, last Saturday in Tampa. And the, uh, the lucky six forwarded to DeSantis include uh, three appeals court judges, a, a couple of circuit court judges, and a lawyer for a conservative uh, Christian legal advocacy group whose main mission seems to be fighting LGBTQ rights and uh, recognition of uh, critical race theory in schools. Um, Only one name, however, is really worth remembering, and that's Renata Francis of Palm Beach County. She's one of the circuit judges nominated. Uh, She was already appointed once by DeSantis to the state Supreme Court two years ago, but that was uh, nullified when she was ruled uh, ineligible by the very same Supreme Court for not having been a Florida bar member for 10 years, which is a constitutional requirement for being on the court. Um, Since that, two years ago, she has now met the 10-year requirement, and she's back nominated, and she'll probably be appointed any day now, maybe even any minute now, by uh, DeSantis, uh, now that he has the six names before him. the, the other five are probably just uh, sort of window dressing at this point. That That's that's me speculating that, but uh, it it sure looks like it's going to be Francis. Now, now Francis is black, and she would become the first Jamaican-American appointed to the court. She also will be um, only the fifth black member ever on the court and the first to serve since Justice Peggy Quince retired in 2019, right at the beginning of DeSantis' term. Um, uh, Francis is a member of the Conservative Federalist Society, which every one of the justices that DeSantis has appointed uh, is. Um, it, you know, the, these are uh, lawyers who promise some kind of adherence to a textual interpretation of the Constitution, although this uh, originalism seems to largely translate into uh, simply siding with uh, right-leaning policies, of which uh, DeSantis has plenty. And um, uh, the, the state's controversial 15-week abortion law, for example, that that may be something that comes before Francis fairly quickly. And uh, there are two lawsuits already filed against it in Leon County Circuit Court. And it's uh, it's also a topic, of course, that will be shaped by a ruling that's expected any day now from the United States Supreme Court in a very similar um, law that uh, the state of Mississippi has passed. So, uh, so, Zach, if you're looking to place a bet on the next justice, I think it'd be safe to say that Las Vegas and Ron DeSantis likes Judge Renata Francis's chances. Yeah, I, I definitely bet on the one that he's already uh, picked once. So it seems like a, <laughs> exactly. a, a good sign for her. Um, my number is 94. That's the number of Floridians who are facing charges related to the January 6th storming 
of the U.S. Capitol. Florida leads all states in the number of people facing January 6th charges. And some of those Floridians have figured prominently in the televised congressional hearings that kicked off last week. Florida Proud Boys Enrique Tario of Miami and Joe Biggs of Ormond Beach both were repeatedly mentioned during the first congressional hearing, which was, uh, as Antonio mentioned, was viewed by nearly 20 million people. So Florida's getting uh, a big uh, spotlight here uh, with some of the folks who have, have been involved in January 6th. That hearing highlighted two extremist groups that were involved in the inter- insurrection, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, and touched on some of the pre-planning that they did to try and make the case that this was a premeditated attack, not a spontaneous riot. A lot of that pre-planning happened here in Florida, which not only has the most people facing January 6th charges, but also has the most Proud Boys and Oath Keepers who are facing uh, January 6th charges. Nearly a third of all of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers who were um, charged in relation to the Capitol riot are from Florida. Two more Florida Oath Keepers were actually charged this week. The January 6th hearings will continue for the rest of this month. The hearings have focused on debunking Trump's false election fraud claims and other aspects of the events surrounding uh, January 6th. They're also highlighting the fact that Florida has a problem with extremism. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru this week, Chander Hopeful, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.